Welcome to Silicon Valley Momentum, where advisor and author Roland Siebeling talks all things tech startups and brings you interviews with founders across the world. Now, here's your host. Hello and welcome to the Silicon Valley Momentum podcast. My name is Roland Siebelink and I'm a coach and advisor to tons of startups and scaling companies. And I'm very happy today because I have an awesome founder with me once again. Her name is Eden Fulgo and she is the founder and CEO of Mobalt. Hello, Eden. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Roland. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's such an honor. So, Eden, we always just start right away with... Tell us what you do and what difference do you make in the world for which targets group? Yeah, so Mobot is a mobile app testing service that combines the best of humans with automation. And what makes us different is we will actually execute physical device testing for mobile apps on actual iOS and Android phones and tablets. And the reason that we're able to do this is we actually use mechanical robots to do mm. the work. And so I was inspired to start the company because I used to be a product manager and I had to do a ton of manual QA. And so <laughs> I couldn't find a good solution for this out there. So I had to start Mobot. That's awesome. So you mentioned your background as a product manager. Can you expand a little bit on that? What was that company that had you do all this awful manual QA work? Yeah, so I started off my career at uh, Palantir Technologies, and I helped them build a number of different web and mobile applications across the government, you know, healthcare and energy sectors. So that was kind of like my first exposure, specifically on web apps, where I realized it's very easy in this day and age to, you know, make a new web app, deploy it. You can create, you know, a, a CI integration and have tests that are kind of running in the cloud. And you can know right away, you know, did the code you create break something or is it ready to go? And you can push it out. And this can happen in a matter of minutes, if not hours, you know, sometimes. Mm -hmm. But on the mobile side, I realized that it doesn't work the same. So as I moved into the next company that I worked at, it was a company called Butterfly Network. Okay. Um, they recently went public. Uh, they build a port portable ultrasound device that mm -hmm. allows you to plug in uh, ultrasound probe into an iOS or Android phone. And it was here where I worked very closely with other engineers on this mobile app that I realized it's very different building mobile apps than it is building a web app. It's a lot slower. You are subject to the approvals of the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. You also do have to go through and you know build all these custom tests using Apple and Google's testing frameworks, XCUI and Espresso. Mm -hmm. And fundamentally, they you have to play by their rules. What we do at Mobot is we believe that because you're using a mobile app like a physical, in a physical way mm -hmm. uh, on a tactile device, you actually should test exactly like a human would use the app. And that means having a finger, a mechanical finger tap <laughs> on a screen, and it will actually be faster to set up a test that way. Was the robotics part of this uh, found of this startup new to you or did you have experience with that as well? Yeah, so I studied a little bit of mechanical engineering in college. Okay. Um, and prior to my career as a product manager, I did start my own nonprofit where I'd actually tinkered a lot with hardware. I developed a solar panel tracker system that would actually uh, passively rotate a solar panel to follow the sun. And I spent quite a bit of time 
uh, working on that and, and growing a nonprofit around that, um, you know, after I received a Teal Fellowship to drop out of college. And so awesome. in my previous background, you know, I tinkered a lot with hardware. You know, I really loved the interaction and the intersection between hardware and software. And so very naturally, you know, kind of looking back, like I'm not surprised that the startup I ended up building combined both of those interests. Okay. And ever regretted getting out of college? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I think there are definitely days where I'm like, you know, I wish if I had taken this class or that class, you know, maybe I would know the answer to certain questions. But I also feel like in 2021, you can Google or Stack Overflow your way out of most <laughs> challenges on the technical side. And, you know, I, I think I've also realized that there are specialists and engineers on our team that can solve a lot of these problems, you know, way better than I could, ever could. So, you know, <laughs> hire people smarter than you, and that helps solve a lot of these problems. But definitely in the early days, I think, you know, I remember a few years ago, whether or not to drop out of college was a much more controversial topic. And I think the answer there is, if you have something better to be doing than college, you should probably do the thing. But if you are kind of still mm -hmm. figuring out what you want, which a lot of young people are, you should probably stay in college because that is the best way to expose yourself to other people, internships, classes, professors that can that can provide you with that opportunity. So going back a little bit to mobile, so you explained why uh, you guys do what you do. What's the reason for being? So you know, as you build a startup like this, what do you want to be? world class at like what's the very core of mobile's competences that you're building up versus what's the stuff where you say you know that's more adjacent that's something we would outsource yeah so i think i've realized in qa there's this sort of false aspiration people have where mm -hmm. oh we want to automate everything <laughs> um i think i've realized in the last couple of years building mobot that that is a false ideal or it's mm -hmm. it's not realistic. What we really need to aspire to do is efficiently leverage human insight and creativity when it makes sense to, and then also efficiently leverage technology and automation where we can. Mm -hmm. And so really what makes Mobot work and our secret sauce is the orchestration and strategic leveraging of people supervising robots and then having the robots do the actual repetitive work but then yep. when the robot stops and is confused by something, that's when we have a human jump in, intervene, update a test plan, give feedback to the robot, retrain the robot, and then keep going. And so that, you know, orchestration of humans plus robots and, you know, different test steps, and you might have a robot run a test continuously for several minutes or hours, mm -hmm. and then only have a human interspersed in there strategically. Our goal is to like, how can we reduce that intervention more yeah. and more over time? So how uh, are you imagining mobile making money over time? Like what's the underlying business model that you see? Where, where will you be unbeatable uh, and, you know, a service that your customers cannot live without? Yeah, so ultimately we are providing a service, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, the, the words technology enabled service have often a connotation where it's like, oh, some outsourced human somewhere. But I think Mobot is taking that definition and flipping it on its head, right? Mm -hmm. We have robots doing the majority of the work, but then you have humans that provide that insight and that feedback. And I think that's really how you build a business that will be scalable as a service. Mm -hmm. So we're not quite traditional SaaS, um, mm -hmm. but how we ultimately price ourselves is how much of our service are you needing? 
So a lot of the way that we measure volumes of work at Mobot is we measure it in terms of the number of actions or steps that the robot has to take. And so a lot of how we price is based kind of like a cell phone plan where mm -hmm. you kind of elect a tier of, you know, you think you will be running this many devices, this many test cases, that's going to be roughly this amount of work. And that becomes a monthly subscription. Okay. And the reason mm -hmm. we're able to price this way is because engineering teams do have a cadence. A lot of folks yep. are, uh, you know, following agile or scrum methodologies. Mm -hmm. They are, uh, you know, releasing every one to two weeks. They have a schedule where like Wednesday we cut a build or Friday we submit a build to test flight or the app store. And so there is a way for a Mobot to then estimate their usage and work with the customer to project what their QA strategy will be. Yeah. So that uh, engineering team is also, it sounds like, uh, who you define to be your core customer or is there even a a more narrow profile that you have in mind as you take this to market? I think we want to work with engineering teams that prioritize mobile as a product. I think there mm -hmm. are certainly companies out there where the web product is the most important and the mobile app is just this kind of like side thing that gets yeah. made and neglected. But what we've really seen work well is there are certain companies and products out there where mobile first, right? And mm -hmm. really, Mobot is designed for mobile first companies because mm -hmm. no one else is really serving this population of engineering teams. I think there are over 2 million apps in the App Store. We're not <laughs> okay. going after all 2 million apps, right? I think there's a certain kind of engineering team that, you know, you're not like a solo indie developer, you know, by yourself, like you probably wouldn't be able to afford Mobot. Yeah. What we really want to target are engineering teams that, you know, maybe they have 20, 25 engineers, they have a release cadence, they're following a schedule, they're looking to invest in their DevOps tools, they care about being efficient and having a good product. You know, I would say that's probably only a smaller portion of the 2 million apps that are in the app store. So it's not so much an artificial constraint, but just being realistic about, yeah, yeah there are 2 million apps, but not all of them are good. So we only <laughs> want to go after the ones that are good. <laughs> so yeah, that kind of brings us to your team. So I think you mentioned you had uh, slightly below 20 people in the team at this stage. Is that right? Yeah, we're 17 right now. 17. Okay, that is awesome. Uh, sounds about like the age, right? The uh, age of 17 and the middle of adolescence and a growing team like that. So how does it feel at the moment? Like what are some of the biggest things you're working on as a team to make the team work better? I think we've realized that every function, so we have a sales team, we have an operations team, and we have our engineering team. And Mm -hmm. Every team at different times during the year will go through periods of optimization or sometimes you have to rebuild things and pay down tech debt, things like that, or operational debt, mm -hmm. process debt. Every team is kind of on their own path, right? Like right now we're about to roll out new, new robots that have more automation in place. And so the engineering team is very busy fleshing that out. Um, and the operations team is in a position where they've built out enough processes in terms of knowledge transfer, training the people who are going to oversee the robots, that they're ready to receive the technology and start to operationalize it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, once the robots are deployed, they, the, the engineering team is kind of be in maintenance mode to kind of receive the feedback from operations. But then the operations team needs to like learn how to actually use this new technology and roll that out. 
so that we can deploy the service to the customers. And so there's kind of, you know, a, a, a cross-functional dynamic that has to happen as we mm-hmm. you know, really learn how the teams work together. Um, and, and every team is kind of going through their own construction and deconstruction at different points in the company. But I think we're at a stage right now where we've seen that cycle play out a couple of times mm-hmm. on different teams that it's exciting to know that we're not reinventing the wheel the way we were, you know, a year, two years ago. Um, and, you know, the company when we were four people and the company when we were 10 people or even pre and post pandemic, like those are all like very distinct stages yes. of the company. Um, one of the CEOs I worked with was complaining to me one day and he said, you know, Roland, I never knew that being a CEO is like like herding cats. How do you feel about that statement? And uh, if, if, if you recognize some of it in it, what uh, what would you say back to him? Yeah, I also didn't realize, you know, how much <laughs> being a CEO is like herding cats. You know, hopefully the cats that you're herding are smarter than you. And, you know, <laughs> they, they are also herding their own set of cats. I think I've realized like, yes, it can be messy and unexpected in some ways. But if you're, you kind of have to like, once we had customer requests coming in and we know sort of like, this is our technology, this is what needs to be done. Some of that kind of naturally plays itself out. And if you have the right people, they will propose improvements and changes and opportunities, and they will be proactive (laughs) and do a lot of that work for you as well. But it's a lot of chaos. I will be honest. Like I completely <laughs> agree with the herding cat. And sometimes, you know, also myself, I don't, you know, I think like, I don't always know what's best for the company. Mm. And I have definitely gotten called out a few times by my team where they felt like they had to herd me and they had to direct my attention, my focus and give me feedback. And so I think it's an evolving journey where, you know, sometimes I know, you know, what's best for the company because I have the original vision I'm close to our customers and sometimes, you know, someone else might know best. And I think that kind of give and take is really important when it comes to herding cats. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great answer. I love that. I love also that you started with, well, hopefully the cats are smarter than you are. So that's, that's a great way of thinking about it. So when you do find yourself in such a situation of uncertainty, when you're not quite sure what to do, when maybe you get uh, you get some flag from your team. I wanted to talk a little bit about how you deal with that, but I also wanted to bring up something that came up in the pre-conversation we had. Like, do you feel that as a female founder, that is something harder to deal with than what you see from fellow male founders or people in, in other positions? I, to the degree you can comment on that, of course. Yeah, I've definitely gotten feedback before that sometimes I'm more empathetic than I need to be. You know, I can be very in touch with my emotions, others' emotions, and I care very much about the culture of the company. Yeah, I'm very proud of that, though, because mm-hmm. I think we've created a team and a workplace and a culture that people actually enjoy, right? We're mm-hmm. all a little bit quirky and nerdy <laughs> at Mobot, and I think that culture comes from the top. I know that culture can come from me, and it comes from the people that I hire who then also perpetuate a good culture culture at the company and across the team. And so I think that is important. But you know, it is a double edged sword where sometimes I don't always make the best decisions because I feel so passionately about this customer. They were early. So I'm willing to do good things, Mm -hmm. like go above Mm -hmm. and beyond for them. And then the team is like, 
Eden, there's no need to do that. Like that, that's not good. <laughs> or maybe that's not even like scalable. Like we should like think about that more carefully before we promise things to customers. And so there's definitely times where my loyalty to a customer or my fondness for a teammate or something can, can definitely manifest itself in decisions. But I think being aware of that is important and being upfront about that is important. And so, you know, a lot of the way that we try to get to work, uh, figure out how to work with each other at Mobot is we actually, when a new person joins the team, we actually have them create a user manual that, uh, you know, that I think I borrowed this practice from, you know, a different operating partner mm -hmm. and investor that I was working with, where you kind of write out like, here are, here's what I like, here's what I don't like. I don't like Slack messages, or I do like Zoom calls, or don't text me after 8pm, or I'm very emotional. So when you come to me, like try to come with data, like things like that, that you know, quirks that we all have. And so I share my quirks, you know, and, you know, my likes and dislikes. And I, I it, you know, I, I read and, and learn from the same from my teammates. And I think that does really help us understand each other. Um, and so I think that's part of that process is, you know, I'm creating this culture where I'm open and honest and vulnerable. And, you know, that makes it so it's easier to work. But there's mm -hmm. definitely times where, you know, maybe I'm not as, uh, cutthroat or as harsh as I could be. And I think it's a, it's a different, you know, it's my company. This is kind of the way I'm going to run things. I don't know if it could be different with a different CEO, but then if it was a different CEO, it wouldn't be the Mobot that I founded. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, being able to embrace yourself as you are and just being authentic about it is ultimately the best form of leadership, right? More than trying to be someone you're not. I think we all have different working styles and different personalities, right? But I think, um, you know, this is why it's important to hire in, you know, people of different backgrounds. Um, you know, not everyone on our team has a PhD in engineering or, <laughs> you know, they have, uh, you know, like 40 years of experience in business development, right? I think it's so important to, you know, during the interview phase, get to know people and, you know, look at their side projects, their hobbies, you know, yeah. you know, what other prior, uh, you know, deliverables did they or outcomes or milestones were they a part of at their prior job? And mm -hmm. what does that tell you about that person and their capabilities? Just because on paper, they don't have the perfect resume, that doesn't mean that they can't do the job. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I fundamentally believe at Mobot, and this is actually something that our VP of engineering said one time, uh -huh. was no one should be disqualified from doing something just because they've never done it before. Um, and so I really try to embody that we give people the opportunity and I feel the same way, you know, our early investors, like I've never built a robotics company before I dropped out of college. Like what could I possibly know about being a founder, but, you know, being given that opportunity and given the chance to iterate and make mistakes and learn quickly, the, the trick is to learn quickly. You know, you can't, you're not expected to be perfect, but I think, you know, what we really want to do is give people the opportunity and, you know, you, met, you never know what kind of unexpected insights can pop up. Uh, what is one thing that if you could just tell founders one thing they should uh, do or learn or focus on, what would it be? When you look at books and resources and podcasts and tips out there, I think it's always important to level set with like the person, like the person giving that advice. 
-hmm. what size of company are they running? Mm -hmm. Can that advice actually be applicable to you? Because mm -hmm. what I've realized works well for one founder in one industry, or maybe they're a series B startup and you're yeah. a pre-seed startup, like following the advice of that other company in that industry or in that country even, it may not directly apply to you. And I think it's important to mm -hmm. view every piece of advice you get from anyone from that lens, because I have often tried to follow other people's advice too much without really being more thoughtful about, hey, does this actually apply to me? Is this in alignment with my values? Um, an example is like, hire fast, fire fast, right? right? Like, yes, you should take risks and take a chance on people, but you also should not blindside them and you should not, you know, be cruel to people, right? So I think you kind of have to like look at advice from different lens in that way. And I, I think that's something that I've also learned is that, you know, you can't just blindly follow that advice because, you know, someone, you, you saw it in, you know, some startup book or some podcast and someone else said it. It, it really has to apply in your particular industry, yeah. your particular company size and stage. And, you know, does your sales process work like theirs does? Do you have a traditional SaaS business or is your business more services based? Is it B2B or B2C? Like all of those nuances are actually really important. There's mm -hmm. no one size fits all advice. That's absolutely right. And I wish more founders would understand that and not all try to emulate Google as a 50,000 people company when they are just 10 or something like that, right? So that's just exactly. one example. Very good situational uh, use of advice, right? Uh, extremely important points. So Eden, this has been an awesome interview. So how can listeners to this podcast help you? What do you need most from the people out there? And where should they go for, for what? Yeah. So we at Mobot are really trying to learn as much as we can about all the different kinds of mobile apps that are out there, mm -hmm. different industries, use cases, how people actually leverage mobile products in their day-to-day -day life. And as the industry evolves, we've realized it's not just like open your phone and use it, right? People are using it on the go. They're using it in their car. They're using it with a wearable fitness tracker. And so really what we're trying to do is collect as many of these use cases and collect data on that as we can. So if you, know, if you are someone who works at a company with a mobile app or a mobile product, you know, would love to connect with you, see if there's a way that Mobot could be helpful to you, but also just like a learning process for us as mm -hmm. we try to understand the mobile industry and really think about how we can innovate for this space in a mobile first way, which is a little bit different from, you know, we don't want uh, all too many companies out there are thinking about mobile as an afterthought. And we really don't want to approach it that way. So we want more data to be able to understand that. That's awesome. Okay. And so anyone listening who knows me and wants to get an intro to Eden, I'm happy to provide. So uh, please just contact us there. And we'll also provide like LinkedIn contacts and just the website contacts in the show notes. So thank you once again, Eden Fulgo, the founder and CEO of Mobot. This has been an amazing interview and I really thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. Like what you heard? Subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Tune in next time for more tech news and interviews with some of the brightest minds in tech today.